Welcome back to Books at Bedtime, where we have been reading The Name of the Wind. Let's see, where were we? Ah, chapter 4. Halfway to Nowhere. <laughs> like Nowhere, but it's uh, Nowhere. It's uh, N-E-W-A-R-R-E. Chronicler walked. Yesterday he had limped, but today there was no part of his feet that didn't hurt, so limping did no good. He had searched for horses in Abbott's Ford and Ranish, offering outrageous prices for even the most broken-down animals. But in small towns like these, people didn't have horses to spare, especially not with harvest fast approaching. Despite a hard day's walking, he was still on the road when night fell, making the rutted dirt road a stumbling ground of half-seen shapes. After two hours of fumbling through the dark, Chronicler saw light flickering through the trees and abandoned any thought of making it to Newar that night. Deciding a farmstead's hospitality would be welcome enough, he left the road, blundering through the trees toward the light. But the fire was farther away than he had thought, and larger. It wasn't lamplight from a house or even sparks from a campfire. It was a bonfire, roaring in the ruins of an old house, little more than two crumbling stone walls. Huddled in, into the corner those two walls made was a man. He wore a heavy hooded cloak, bundled up as if it were full winter and not a mild autumn evening. Chronicler's hopes rose at the sight of a small cook fire with a pot hanging over it, but as he came close, he caught a foul scent mingling with the wood smoke. It reeked of burning hair and rotting flowers. Chronicler quickly decided that whatever the man was cooking, he wanted none of it. Still, even a place next to a fire was better than curling up by the side of the road. Chronicler stepped into the circle of firelight. I saw your... F he stopped as the figure sprang quickly to its feet, a sword held uh, with both hands. No... Not a sword, a long, dark cudgel of some sort, too regularly shaped to be a piece of firewood. Chronicler stopped dead in his tracks. I was just looking for a place to sleep, he said quickly, his hand unconsciously clutching at the circle of iron that hung around his neck. I don't want any trouble. I'll leave you to your dinner. The figure relaxed, and the cudgel dropped too great metallically against the stone. Charred body of God, what are you doing out here at this time of night? I was headed to Newar and saw your fire. You just followed a strange fire into the woods at night? The hooded figure shook his head. You might as well come here, he motioned to Chronicler uh, closer. And the scribe saw he was wearing thick leather gloves. Tell you, anyway, have you had bad luck your whole life, or have you been saving it up for tonight? I don't know who you're waiting for. Chronicler said, taking a step backward, but I'm sure you'd rather do it alone. Shut up and listen, the man said sharply. I don't know how much time we have. He looked down and rubbed his, at his face. God, I never know how much to tell you people. If you don't believe me, you'll think I'm crazy. If you do believe me, you'll panic and be worse than useless. Looking back up, he saw Chronicler hadn't moved. Get over here, damn you. If you go back out there, you're as good as dead. Chronicler glanced over his shoulder into the dark of the forest. Why? What's out there? The man gave a short, bitter laugh as he, and shook his head in exasperation. Honestly? 
He ran his hand absentmindedly through his hair, brushing his hood back in the process. In the firelight, his hair was impossibly red, his eyes a shocking, vibrant green. He looked at Chronicler, sizing him up. Demons, he said. Demons in the shape of big black spiders. Chronicler relaxed. There's no such thing as demons. From his tone, it was obvious he'd said the same thing many, many times before. The red-haired man gave an incredulous laugh. <laughs> well, I guess we can all go home then. He flashed a manic grin at Chronicler. Listen, I'm guessing you're an educated man. I respect that, and for the most part, you're right. His expression went serious. But here and now, tonight, you're wrong. Wrong as wrong can be. You don't want to be on that side of the fire when you figure that out. The flat certainty in the man's voice sent a chill down Chronicler's back. Feeling more than slightly foolish, he stepped delicately around the other side of the bonfire. The man sized him up quickly. I don't suppose you have any weapons? Chronicler shook his head. It doesn't really matter. A sword wouldn't do you much good. He handed Chronicler a heavy piece of firewood. You probably won't be able to hit one, but it's worth a try. They're fast. If one of them gets on you, just fall, fall down. Try to land on it. Crush it with your body. Roll on it. If you get hold of one, throw it into the fire. He drew the hood back over his head, speaking quickly. If you have any extra clothes, put them on. If you have a blanket, you could wrap... He suddenly... He stopped suddenly and looked out across the circle of firelight. Get your back against the wall, he said abruptly, bringing his iron cudgel up with both hands. Chronicler looked past the bonfire. Something dark was moving in the trees. They came into the light, moving low across the ground, black shapes, many-legged, and large as cartwheels. One, quicker than the rest, rushed into the firelight without hesitating, moving with disturbing, sinuous speed of a scuttling... Oh, sorry. Moving with the disturbing, sinuous speed of a scuttling insect. Sorry. <laughs> Sometimes I miss a word here and there. Okay. Before Chronicler could raise his piece of firewood, the thing skirted sideways around the bonfire and sprang at him, quick as a cricket. Chronicler threw up his hands just as the black thing struck his face and chest. Its cold, hard legs scrabbled for a hold, and he felt bright stripes of pain across the backs of his arm. Staggering away, the scribe felt his heel snag on, a rough, on the rough ground, and he began to topple over backward, arms flailing wildly. As he fell, Chronicler caught one last glimpse of the circle of firelight. More of the black things were scuttling out of the dark, their feet beating a quick staccato rhythm against the roots and rocks and leaves. On the other side of the fire, the man in the heavy cloak held his iron cudgel ready with both hands. He stood perfectly still, perfectly silent, waiting. Still falling backward with the dark thing on top of him, Chronicler felt a dull, dark explosion as the back of his head struck the stone wall behind him. The world slowed, turned blurry, then black. Chronicler opened his eyes to a confusing mass of dark shapes and firelight. His skull throbbed. There were several lines of bright, clear pain crossing the backs of his arms, and a dull ache that pulled at his left side every time he drew in a breath. After a moment of concentration, the world claim came into a blurry focus. The bundled man sat nearby. He was no longer wearing his gloves, and his heavy cloak hung off his body in loose tatters. But other than that, he seemed unscathed. His hood was up, hiding his face. You're awake? The man asked curiously. That's good. You can never be sure with a head wound. 
The hood tilted a bit. Can you talk? Do you know where you are? Yes, the chronicler said thickly, and seemed to take far too much effort to make a single word. Even better. Now, third time pays for all. Do you think you can stand up and lend me a hand? We need to burn and bury the bodies. Chronicler moved his head and uh, head a bit and felt suddenly dizzy and nauseous. What happened? I might have broken a couple of your ribs, the man said. One of them was all over you. I didn't have a lot of options. He shrugged. I'm sorry for whatever that's worth. I've already stitched up the cuts on your arms. They should heal up nicely. They're gone? The hood nodded once. The scrail don't retreat. They're like wasps from a hive. They keep attacking until they die. A horrified look spread over Chronicler's face. There's a hive of these things? Dear God, no. There was. There were just these five. Still, we have to burn and bury them just to be sure. I already cut the wood we'll need, Ash and Rowan. Chronicler gave a laugh that sounded slightly hysterical, just like the children's song. Let me tell you what to do. Dig a pit that's ten by two, Ash and Elm and Rowan too. Yes, indeed, the bundled man said dryly. You'd be surprised at the sorts of things hidden away in children's songs. But while I don't think we need to dig the entire ten feet down, I wouldn't refuse a little help, he trailed off meaningfully. Chronicler moved one hand to feel the back of his head gingerly, then looked at his fingers, surprised that they weren't covered in blood. I think I'm fine, he said as he cautiously levered himself up onto one elbow. And from there, into a sitting position. Is there any... His eyes flickered and he went limp, falling bonelessly backward. His head struck the ground, bounced once, and came to a rest, tilted slightly to one side. Coat sat patiently for a few long moments, watching the unconscious man. When there was no movement other than the chest slowly rising and falling, he came stiffly to his feet and knelt at Chronicler's side. Coat lifted one eyelid, then the other, and grunted at what he saw, not seeming particularly surprised. I don't, I don't suppose there's any chance of you waking up again? He asked without much hope in his voice. He tapped Chronicler's pale cheek lightly. No chance at a drop of blood spotted Chronicler's forehead, followed quickly by another. Coat straightened up so that he was no longer leaning over the unconscious man and wiped the blood away as best he could, which wasn't very well as his hands were covered in blood themselves. Sorry, he said absently. He gave a deep sigh and pushed back his hood. His red hair was matted down against his head, and half his face was smeared with drying blood. Slowly, he began to peel away the tattered remains of his cloak. Underneath was a leather blacksmith's apron, wildly scored with cuts. He removed that as well, revealing a plain gray shirt of homes... Uh, uh, okay, it just says of homespun. So expecting homespun cloth or something. Both his shoulders and his left arm were dark and wet with blood. Coat fingered the buttons of his shirt for a moment, then decided against removing it. Climbing gingerly to his feet, he picked up the spade and slowly, painfully, began to dig. Oh, that was a short chapter. Okay. Well, might as well go on, then. I mean, uh, let's see, as tradition dictates... Ah! Oh, okay, 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 you can twist my arm. Ah, ah! Stop, stop. I'll, re I'll keep reading, I'll keep reading. <laughs> As my mom would do. Five. Notes. 
It was well past midnight by the time Cote made it back to Noir, with Chronicler's limp body slung across his lacerated shoulders. The town's houses and shops were dark and silent, but the Waystone Inn was full of light. Bast stood in the doorway, practically dancing with irritation. When he spotted the approaching figure, he rushed down the street, waving a piece of paper angrily. A note? You sneak out and leave me a note? he hissed angrily. What am I, some dockside whore? Cote turned around and shrugged Chronicler's limp body into Bast's arms. I knew you would just argue with me, Bast. Bast held Chronicler easily in front of him. It wasn't even a good note. If you are reading this, I am probably dead. What sort of note is that? You weren't supposed to find it till morning, Cote said tiredly, as they began to walk down the street to the inn. Bast looked down at the man he was carrying, as if noticing him for the first time. Who is this? He shook him a little, eyeing him curiously before slinging him easily over one shoulder like a burlap sack. Some unlucky sod who happened to be on the road at the wrong time, Cote said dismissively. Don't shake him too much, his head might be on a little loose. What the hell did you sneak off for anyway, Bast demanded as they entered the inn. If you're going to leave a note, it should at least tell me what... Bast's eyes widened as he saw Cote in the light of the inn, pale and streaked with blood and dirt. You can go ahead and worry if you want, Cote said dryly. It's every bit as bad as it looks. You went out hunting for them, didn't you? Bast hissed. Then his eyes widened. No, you kept a piece of the one Carter killed. I can't believe you. You lied to me. To me. Cote sighed as he trudged up the stairs. Are you upset by the lie or the fact that you didn't catch me in it? He asked as he began to climb. Bast spluttered. I'm upset that you thought you couldn't trust me. They let their conversation lapse as they opened up one of the many empty rooms on the second floor, undressed Chronicler, and tucked him snugly into bed. Cote left the man's satchel and travel sack on the floor nearby. Closing the door to the room behind him, Cote said, I trust you, Bast, but I wanted you safe. I knew I could handle it. I could have helped, Reshi. Bast's tone was injured. You know I would have. You can still help, Bast. Cote said as he made his way to his room and sat heavily on the edge of his narrow bed. I need some stitching done. He began to unbutton his shirt. I could do it myself, but the tops of my shoulders and my back are hard to reach. Nonsense, Reshi. I'll do it. Cote made a gesture to the door. My supplies are down in the basement. Best sniffed disdainfully. I will use my own needles. Thank you very much. Good honest bone, none of your nasty jagged iron things, stabbing you like little slivers of hate, he shivered. Stream and stone, it's frightening how primitive you people are. Bast bustled out of the room, leaving the door open behind him. Cote slowly removed his shirt, grimacing and sucking his breath through his teeth as the dried blood stuck and tugged against the wounds. His face went stoic again when Bast came back into the room with a basin of water and began to clean him off. As the dried blood was washed away, a wild scoring of long, straight cuts became clear. They gaped redly against the innkeeper's fair skin, as if he had been slashed with a barber's razor or a piece of broken glass. There were perhaps a dozen cuts in all, most of them on the tops of his shoulders, uh, a few across his back and along his arms. One started on the top of his head and ran down his scalp to behind his ear. I thought you weren't supposed to bleed, Reshi, Bast said, bloodless and all that. 
don't believe everything you hear in stories, Bast. They lie to you. Well, you aren't nearly as bad off as I thought, Bast said, wiping his hands clean. Though by all rights, you should have lost a piece of your ear. Were they wounded like the one that attacked Carter? Not that I could see. <laughs> Sorry, I accidentally read ahead. Um, where was I? Let's see. Were they wounded like the one that attacked Carter? Not that I could see, Coates said. How many were there? Five. Five? Bast said, aghast. How many did the other fellow kill? He distracted one of them for a while, Coates said generously. Unpown, Reshi, Bast said. Unpown is in italics, assumed to be another language, I guess. Unpown, Reshi, Bast said, shaking his head as he threaded a bone needle with something thinner and finer than gut. You should be dead. You should be dead twice. Coat shrugged. It's not the first time I should be dead, Bast. I'm a fair hand at avoiding it. Bast bent to his work. This will sting a bit, he said, his hands strangely gentle. Honestly, Reshi, I can't see how you've managed to stay along, alive this long. Coat shrugged again and closed his eyes. Neither do I, Bast, he said. His voice was tired and gray. Hours later, the door to Coates' room cracked open, and Bast peered inside. Hearing nothing but slow, measured breathing, the young man walked softly to stand beside the bed and bent over the sleeping man. Bast eyed the color of his cheeks, smelled his breath, and lightly touched his forehead, his wrist, and the hollow of his throat above his heart. Then Bast drew a chair alongside the bed and sat, watching his master, listening to him breathe. After a moment, he reached out and brushed the unruly hair back from his face, like a mother would with a sleeping child. Then he began to sing softly, the tune lilting and strange, almost a lullaby. How odd to watch a mortal kindle, then dwindle day by day, knowing their bright souls are tender and the wind will have its way. Would I, would I could my own fireland what does your flickering portend? Bast's voice faded until at last he sat motionless, watching the rise and fall of his master's silent breathing through the long hours of morning's early dark. Oh, wow, that was a short chapter, too. <sighs> I, I, I guess I can read another one. <laughs> Six. The Price of Remembering It was early evening of the next day before Chronicler came down the stairs to the common room of the Waystone Inn. Pale and unsteady, he carried his flat leather satchel under one arm. Coat sat behind the bar, paging through a book. Ah, our unintentional guest. How's the head? Chronicler raised a hand to touch the back of his head. Throbs a bit when I move around too quickly, but it's still working. Glad to hear it, Coates said. Is this? Chronicler hesitated, looking around. Are we in Nowhere? Coates nodded. You are, in fact, in the middle of Nowhere. <laughs> I love how that sounds like Nowhere. 
um, he made a dramatic, sweeping gesture with one hand. Thriving metropolis, home to dozens. Chronicler stared at the red-haired man behind the bar. He leaned against one of the tables for support. God's charred body, he said breathlessly. It really is you, isn't it? The innkeeper looked puzzled. I, I beg your pardon? I know you're going to deny it, Chronicler said, but what I saw last night... The innkeeper held up a hand, quieting him. Before we discuss the possibility that you've addled your wits with that crack to the head, tell me, how is the road to Tunui? What? Chronicler asked, irritated. I wasn't heading to Tunui. I was... Oh. Well, even aside from last night, the road's been pretty rough. I was robbed off by Abbott's Ford, and I've been on foot ever since. But it was all worth it since you're actually here. The scribe glanced at the sword hanging over the bar and drew a deep breath, his expression becoming vaguely anxious. I'm not here to cause trouble, mind you. I'm not here because of the price on your head. He gave a weak smile. Not that I could hope to trouble you. Fine, the innkeeper interrupted as he pulled out a white linen cloth and began to polish the bar. Who are you, then? You can call me Chronicler. I didn't ask what I could call you, Cote said. What is your name? Devon. Devon Lockees. Cote stopped polishing the bar and looked up. Lockees? Are you related to Duke? Cote trailed off, nodding to himself. Yes, of course you are. Not a Chronicler. The Chronicler. He stared hard at the balding man, looking him up and down. How about that? The great debunker himself. Chronicler relaxed slightly, obviously pleased to have his reputation precede him. I wasn't trying to be difficult before. I haven't thought of myself as a Devon in years. I left that name behind me long ago. He gave the innkeeper a significant look. I expect you know something of that yourself. Coat ignored the unspoken question. I read your book years ago, The Mating Habits of the Common Dracus. Quite the eye-opener for a young man with his head full of stories. Looking down, he began moving the white cloth along the grain of the bar again. I'll admit, I was disappointed to learn that dragons didn't exist. That's a hard lesson for a boy to learn. Chronicler smiled. Honestly, I was a little disappointed myself. I went looking, <coughs> sorry, I went looking for a legend and found a lizard. A fascinating lizard, but a lizard, just the same. And now you're here, Coat said. Have you come to prove that I don't exist? <sighs> Sorry, I had to stretch. <clears throat> Have you come to prove that I don't exist? Chronicler laughed nervously. No, you see, we heard a rumor. We? Coat interrupted. I've been traveling with an old friend of yours, Scarpy. Taken you under his wing, has he? Coat said to himself. How about that? Scarpy's apprentice. More of a colleague, really. Cote nodded, still expressionless. I might have guessed he would be the first to find me. Rumor mongers, both of you. Chronicler's smile grew sour, as he, and he swallowed the first words that came to his lips. He struggled for a moment to recapture his calm demeanor. So what can I do for you? Cote set aside the clean linen cloth and gave his best innkeeper's smile. Something to eat or drink? A room for the night? Chronicler hesitated. 
I have it all here, Coat gestured expansively behind the bar. Old wine, smooth and pale. Honeymead, dark ale. Sweet fruit liquor. Plum, cherry, green apple, blackberry. Coat pointed out the bottles in turn. Come now, surely you must want something. As he spoke, his smile widened, showing too many teeth for a friendly innkeeper's grin. At the same time, his eyes grew cold and hard and angry. Gronicler dropped his gaze. I'd thought that you thought, Coat said derisively, dropping all pretense of a smile. I very much doubt it. Otherwise you might have thought, he bit off the word, of how much danger you were putting me in by coming here. Chronicler's face grew red. I'd heard that Quoth was fearless, he said hotly. The innkeeper shrugged. Only priests and fools are fearless, and I've never been on the best terms with God. Chronicler frowned, aware that he was being baited. Listen, he continued calmly. I was extraordinarily careful. No one except Scarpy knew I was coming. I didn't mention you to anyone. I didn't expect to actually find you. Imagine my relief, Coates said sarcastically. Obviously disheartened, Chronicler spoke. I'll be the first to admit that my coming here may have been a mistake. He paused, giving Coat the opportunity to contradict him. Coat didn't. Chronicler gave a small, tight sigh and continued. But what's done is done. Won't you even consider? Coat shook his head. It was a long time ago. Not even two years, Chronicler protested. And I am not what I was, Coat continued without pausing. And what was that exactly? Kvoth he said simply, refusing to be drawn any further into an explanation. Now I am coat. I tend to my inn. That means beer is three shims and a private room costs copper. He began polishing the bar again with a fierce intensity. As you said, done is done. The stories will take care of themselves. But coat looked up, and for a second Chronicler saw past the anger that lay glittering on the surface of his eyes. For a moment, he saw the pain underneath, raw and bloody, like a wound too deep for healing. Then Coat looked away, and only the anger remained. What could you possibly offer me that is worth the price of remembering? Everyone thinks you're dead. You don't get it, do you? Coat shook his head, stuck between amusement and exasperation. That's the whole point. People don't look for you when you're dead. Old enemies don't try to settle scores. People don't come asking you for stories, he said acidly. Chronicler refused to back down. Other people say you're a myth. I am a myth. <clears throat> I am a myth, Coates said easily, making an extravagant gesture. A very special kind of myth that creates itself. The best lies about me are the ones I told. They say you never existed, Chronicler corrected gently. Coach shrugged nonchalantly, his smile fading an imperceptible amount. Sensing weakness, Chronicler continued, Some stories paint you as little more than a red-handed killer. I'm that, too, Coat turned to polish the counter behind the bar. He shrugged again, not as easily as before. I've killed men and things that were more than men. Every one of them deserved it. Chronicler shook his head slowly. The stories are saying assassin, not hero. Kvoth the Arcane and Kvoth Kingkiller are two very different men.
Coat stopped polishing the bar and turned his back to the room. He nodded once without looking up. Some are even saying there's a new Chandrim. A fresh terror in the night, his hair as red as the blood he spills. The important people know the difference, Coat said as if he were trying to convince himself, but his voice was weary and despairing without conviction. Maybe it'd be more like um, The important people know the difference. Something like that. Chronicler gave a small laugh. Certainly, for now. But you of all people should realize how thin the line is between the truth and a compelling lie, between history and an entertaining story. Chronicler gave his words a minute to sink in. You know which will win, given time. Coat remained, facing the back wall, hands flat on the counter. His head was bowed slightly, as if a great weight had settled onto him. He did not speak. Chronicler took an eager step forward, sensing victory. Victory. <clears throat> Some people say there was a woman. What do they know? Coat's voice cut like a saw through bone. What do they know about what happened? He spoke so softly that Chronicler had to hold his breath to hear. They say she... Chronicler's words stuck in his suddenly dry throat as the room grew unnaturally quiet. Coat stood with his back to the room, a stillness in his body and a terrible silence clenched between his teeth. His right hand, tangled in a clean white cloth, made a slow fist. Eight inches away, a bottle shattered. The smell of strawberries filled the air along the, alongside the sound of splintering glass, a small noise inside so great a stillness, but it was enough enough to break the silence into small, sharp slivers. Chronicler felt himself go cold as he suddenly realized what a dangerous game he was playing. So this is the difference between telling a story and being in one, he thought numbly. The fear. Coat turned. What can any of them know about her? He asked softly. Chronicler's breath stopped when he saw Coat's face. The placid innkeeper's expression was like a shattered mask. Underneath, Coates' expression was haunted, eyes half in this world, half elsewhere, remembering. Chronicler found himself thinking of a story he had heard, one of the many. The story told of how Kvothe had gone looking for his heart's desire. He had to trick a demon to get it, but once it rested in his hand, he was forced to fight an angel to keep it. I believe it, Chronicler found himself thinking. Before it was just a story, but now I can believe it. This is the face of a man who has killed an angel. What can any of them know about me? Coat demanded, a numb anger in his voice. What can they know about any of this? He made a short, fierce gesture that seemed to take in everything. The broken bottle, the bar, the world. Chronicler swallowed against the dryness in his throat. Only what they're told. Tap, 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 tap. The liquor from the broken bottle began to patter an irregular rhythm onto the floor. Ah, Coat sighed out a long breath. Tap, 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 tap. Clever, you'd use my own best trick against me. You'd hold my story a hostage. I would tell the truth. Nothing but the truth could break me. What is harder than truth? 
A sickly, mocking smile flickered across his face. For a long moment, only the gentle tapping of drops against the floor kept the silence at bay. Finally, Coat walked through the doorway behind the bar. Chronicler stood awkwardly in the empty room, unsure whether or not he had been dismissed. A few minutes later, Coat returned with a bucket of soapy water. Without looking in the storyteller's direction, he began, he began to gently, methodically wash his bottles. One at a time, Coat wiped their bottoms clean of the strawberry wine and set them on the bar between himself and Chronicler, as if they might defend him. So you went looking for a myth and found a man, he said without inflection, without looking up. You've heard the stories, and now you want the truth of things. Radiating relief, Chronicler set his satchel down on one of the tables, surprised at the slight tremor in his hands. We got wind of you a while back, just a whisper of a rumor. I didn't really expect... Chronicler paused, suddenly awkward. I thought you would be older. I am, Coat said. Chronicler looked puzzled, but before he could say anything, the innkeeper continued, What brings you into this worthless little corner of the world? An appointment with the Earl of Badenbert, Chronicler said, puffing himself up slightly, three days from now in Treya. The innkeeper paused mid-polish. You expect to make it to the Earl's Manor in four days? he asked quietly. I am behind schedule, Chronicler admitted. My horse was stolen near Abbott's Ford. He glanced out the window at the darkening sky. But I'm willing to lose some sleep. I'll be off in the morning and out of your hair. Well, I wouldn't want to cost you any sleep, Coates said sarcastically, his eyes gone hard again. I can tell the whole thing in one breath. He cleared his throat. I trooped, traveled, loved, lost, trusted, and was betrayed. Write that down and burn it for all the good it will do you. You needn't take it that way, Chronicler said quickly. We can take the whole night if you like, and a few hours in the morning as well. How gracious, Code snapped. You'll have me tell my story in an evening, with no time to collect myself, no time to prepare. His mouth made a thin line. No. Go dally with your earl. I'll have none of it. Chronicler spoke quickly. If you're certain you'll need... Yes, Coat set a, bo a bottle down hard on the bar. Sorry. Hang on. Oh, this is a weird sentence. Yes. Coat set a bottle down hard on the bar. Hard. It's safe to say I'll need more time than that, and you'll get none of it tonight. A real story takes time to prepare. Chronicler frowned nervously and ran his hands through his hair. I could spend tomorrow collecting your story. He trailed off at, uh, at the sight of Coat, shaking his head. After a pause, he started again, almost talking to himself. If I pick up a horse in Baden, I can give you all day tomorrow, most of the night, and a piece of the following day. I hate riding at night, but I'll need three days, Coat said. I'm quite sure of it. Chronicler blanched. But the Earl... Coat waved a hand dismissively. No one needs three days, Chronicler said firmly. I interviewed Oren Velsiter. Oren Velsiter, mind you. He's eighty years old and done two hundred years' worth of living. Five hundred if you count the lies. He sought me out, Chronicler said with particular emphasis. He only took two days. That is my offer, the innkeeper said simply. I'll do this properly or not at all. Hold on a moment. Chronicler brightened suddenly. 
I've been thinking about this all backward, he said, shaking his head at his own foolishness. I'll just visit the Earl, then come back. You can have all the time you like, then. I could even bring Scarpy back with me. Coat gave Chronicler a look of profound disdain. What gives you the slightest impression that I would be here when you came back? He asked incredulously. For that matter, what makes you think you're free to simply walk out of here, knowing what you know? Chronicler went very still. Are, he swallowed and started again. <clears throat> Are you saying that the story will take three days? Coat interrupted. Starting tomorrow. That is what I am saying. Chronicler closed his eyes and ran a hand over his face. The Earl would be furious, of course. No telling what it might take to get back in his good graces. Still. If that's the only way I can get it, I accept. I'm glad to hear it. The innkeeper relaxed into half a smile. Come now, is three days really so unusual? Chronicler's serious expression returned. Three days is quite unusual. But then again, some of the self-importance seemed to leak out of him. Then again, he made a gesture as if to show how useless words were. <sighs> you are Kvoth. The man who called himself Coat looked up from behind his bottles. A full-lipped smile played around his mouth. A spark was kindling behind his eyes. He seemed taller. Yes, I suppose I am, Gvoth said, and his voice had iron in it. Hmm. <sighs> well, I think that'll do for starting things out. I started it. I've already read three chapters, but. Five. Ah, it's only five pages. What do you think? I've only been at this 40 minutes. I guess I'll continue. <laughs> You're getting. How many chapters is this? Four? Four chapters? Yeah, four chapters tonight. Count yourself lucky. Seven. Of Beginnings and the Names of Things. Sunlight poured into the waystone. It was a cool, fresh light fitted for beginnings. It brushed past the miller as he set his water wheel turning for the day. It lit the forge the smith was rekindling after four days of cold metal work. It touched draft horses hitched to wagons and sickle blades glittering sharp and ruddy at the beginning of an autumn day. Inside the waystone, the light fell across Chronicler's face and touched a beginning there, a blank page waiting the first, yeah, waiting the first words of a story. The light flowed across the bar scattered a thousand tiny rainbows beginning from the colored bottles. Oh, sorry. A thousand tiny rainbow beginnings from the colored bottles, and climbed the wall toward the sword 
as if searching for one final beginning. But when the light touched the sword, there were no beginnings to be seen. In fact, the light the sword reflected was dull, burnished, and ages old. Looking at it, Chronicler remembered that though it was the beginning of a day, it was also late autumn and growing colder. The sword shone with the knowledge that dawn was a small beginning compared to the ending of a season, the ending of a year. Gvoth pulled his eyes away from the sword, aware that Gvoth had said something, but not knowing what. Uh, I beg your pardon? How do people normally go about relating their stories? Chronicler shrugged. Most simply tell me what they remember. Later, I record events in the proper order, remove the unnecessary pieces, clarify, simplify, that sort of thing. Kvoth frowned. I don't think that will do. Chronicler gave him a shy smile. Storytellers are always different. They prefer their stories to be left alone. But they also prefer an attentive audience. I usually listen and record later. I have a nearly perfect memory. Nearly perfect doesn't quite suit me. Kvoth pressed a finger against his lips. How fast can you write? Chronicler gave a knowing smile, faster than a man can talk. Kvoth raised an eyebrow. I'd like to see that. Chronicler opened his satchel. He brought out a stack of fine white paper and a bottle of ink. After arranging them carefully, he dipped a pen and looked expectantly at Kvoth. Kvoth sat forward in his chair and spoke quickly. I am, we are, she is, he was, they will be. Chronicler's pen danced and scratched out the page as Kvoth watched it. I, Chronicler, do hereby avow that I can neither read nor write, supine, irreverent, jackdaw, quartz, lacquer, egoliant, lintalu sorenhia. There was a young widow from Phaeton whose morals were hard as a rock. She went to, she went to confession for her true obsession, Oh dear. Okay. Um, <clears throat> thought that was going to turn dirty. Something like. Uh, and now I do remind you. This is a quick warning that this is an explicit podcast. So I assume that the ending of that would be to fuck a good hard cock or something like that. Um, <clears throat> anyway, Kvoth leaned forward to watch as Chronicler wrote. Interesting. Oh, you may stop. Chronicler smiled again and wiped his pen on a piece of cloth. The page in front of him held a single line of incomprehensible symbols. Some sort of cipher? Kvoth wondered aloud. Very neatly done, too. I'll bet you don't spoil many pages. He turned the sheet to look at the writing more carefully. I never spoil pages, Chronicler said haughtily. Kvoth nodded, without looking up. What does egoliant mean? Chronicler asked. Oh, nothing. I made it up. I wanted to see if an unfamiliar word would slow you down. He stretched and pulled his chair closer to Chronicler's. As soon as you show me how to read this, we can begin. Chronicler looked doubtful. It's a very complex sink, both frown, he sighed. I'll try. Chronicler drew a deep breath and began to write a line of symbols as he spoke. There are around fifty different sounds we use to speak. I've given each of them a symbol consisting of one or two pen strokes. It's all sound. I could conceivably transcribe a language I don't even understand, he pointed. 
These are different vowel sounds, all vertical lines, Quoth said, looking intently at the page. Chronicler paused, thrown off his stride. Well, yes. The consonants would be horizontal then, and they would combine like this. Taking the pen, Quoth made a few marks of his own on the page. Clever. You'd never need more than two or three for a word. Chronicler watched Quoth quietly. Quoth didn't notice his attention on the paper. If this is am, then these must be the ah sounds. He motioned to a group of characters uh, Chronicler had penned. Ah, a, a, ah. The, that would make these the O's. Quoth nodded to himself and pressed the pen back into Chronicler's hand. Show me the consonants. Chronicler penned them down numbly, reciting the sounds as he wrote. After a moment, Quoth took the pen and completed the list himself, asking the dumbfounded Chronicler to correct him if he made a mistake. <laughs> Chronicler watched and listened as Quoth completed the list. From beginning to end, the whole process took about fifteen minutes. He made no mistakes. Wonderfully efficient system, Quoth said appreciatively. Very logical. Did you design it? Did you design it yourself? Chronicler took a long moment before he spoke, staring at the rows of characters on the page in front of Quoth. Finally, disregarding Quoth's question, Chronicler asked, "Did you really learn Tema in a day?" Quoth gave a faint smile and looked down at the table. That's an old story. I'd almost forgotten. It took a day and a half, actually. A day and a half with no sleep. Why do you ask? I heard about it at the university. I never really believed it. He looked down at the page of his cipher in Quoth's neat handwriting. All of it? Quoth looked puzzled. What? Did you learn the whole language? No, of course not. Quoth said rather testily, only a portion of it, a large portion, to be sure, but I don't believe you can ever learn all of anything, let alone a language. Quoth rubbed his hands together. Now, are you ready? Chronicler shook his head as if to clear it, set out a new sheet of paper, and nodded. Quoth had held up a hand to keep Chronicler from writing and spoke. I've never told this story before and I doubt I'll ever tell it again. Kvothe leaned forward in his chair. Before we begin, you must remember that I am of the Edemaru. We were telling stories before Kaloptena burned, before there were books to write in, before there was music to play. When the first fire kindled, we Ru were there spinning stories in the circle of its flickering light. The innkeeper nodded to the scribe. I know your reputation as a great collector of stories and recorder of events. Gvoth's eyes became hard as flint, sharp as broken glass. That said, do not presume to change a word of what I say. If I seem to wander, if I seem to stray, remember that true stories seldom take the straightest way. Chronicler nodded solemnly, trying to imagine the mind that could break apart his cipher in a piece of an hour a mind that could learn a language in a day. Kvoth gave a gentle smile and looked around the room as if fixing it in his memory. Chronicler dipped his pen and Kvoth looked down at his folded hands for as long as it takes to draw three deep breaths. Then he began to speak. In some ways, it began when I heard her singing, her voice twining, mixing with my own. Her voice 
was like a portrait of her soul, wild as a fire, sharp as shattered glass, sweet and clean as clover. Voth shook his head. No. It began at the university. I went to learn magic of the sort they talk about in stories. Magic like Taberlin the Great. I wanted to learn the name of the wind. I wanted fire and lightning. I wanted answers to ten thousand questions and access to their archives. But what I found at the university was much different than a story, and I was much dismayed. But I expect the true beginning lies in what led me to the university. Unexpected fires at twilight. A man with eyes like ice at the bottom of a well. The smell of blood and burning hair. The Chandrian. He nodded to himself. Yes, I suppose that is where it all begins. This, in many ways... Sorry. <clears throat> this is, in many ways, a story about the Chandrian. Kvoth shook his head as if to free himself from some dark thought. But I suppose I must go even further back than that. If this is to be something resembling my book of deeds, I can spare the time. It will be worth it if I am remembered, if not flatteringly, then at least with some small amount of accuracy. But what would my father say if he heard me telling a story this way? Begin at the beginning. Very well. If we are to have a telling, let's make it a proper one. Gvoth sat forward in his chair. In the beginning, as far as I know, the world was spun out of the nameless void by Aleph, who gave everything a name, or, depending on the version of the tale, found the names all things already possessed. Chronicler let slip a small laugh, though he did not look up from his page or pause in his writing. Kvoth continued, smiling himself. I see you laugh. Very well. For simplicity's sake, let us assume I am the center of creation. In doing this, let us pass over innumerable boring stories, the rise and fall of empires, sagas of heroism, ballads of tragic love. Let us hurry forward to the only tale of any real importance. His smile broadened. Mine. My name is Kvoth, pronounced nearly the same as Quoth. Names are important, as they tell you a great deal about a person. I've had more names than anyone has a right to. The Adem call me Medre, which, depending on how it's spoken, can mean the flame, the thunder, or the broken tree. The flame is obvious, if you've ever seen me. I've red hair, bright. If I had been born a couple hundred years ago, I would probably have been burned as a demon. I keep it short, but it's unruly. When left to its own devices, it sticks up and makes me look as if I have been set afire. The thunder I attribute to a strong baritone and a great deal of stage training at an early age. I've never thought of the broken tree as very significant, although, in retrospect, I suppose it could be considered at least partially prophetic. My first mentor called me Ilir because I was clever and I knew it. My first real lover called me Dulator because she liked the sound of it. I have been called Shadikar, Lightfinger, and Six String. I have been called Kvoth the, the Bloodless, Kvoth the Arcane, and Kvoth Kingkiller. I have earned those names, bought and paid for them. But I was brought up as Kvoth, 
My father once told me it meant to know. I have, of course, been called many other things, most of them uncouth, although very few were unearned. I have stolen princesses back from sleeping barrow kings. I burned down the town of Trebon. I have spent the night with Felurian, and left with both my sanity and my life. I was expelled from the university at a younger age than most people are allowed in. I tread paths by moonlight that others fear to speak of during the day. I have talked to gods, loved women, and written songs that make minstrels weep. You may have heard of me. It would be cocky if he wasn't a living legend and hadn't earned all of those things. Ah, dang it, I just closed the book without a bookmark in it. Okay, where are we? No, no. I won't be reading another chapter tonight. Oh, twist my arm all you like. You're not getting another tonight. You've already had four chapters. That's plenty. Sometimes sometimes I talk to myself just to have a decent conversation. There are so many people in the world, but so few of them ever really seem to look at you, you know, to notice you exist. It's nice to be noticed, to have someone to talk with, to have someone know who you are, but terrifying at the same time. What if they don't like who you are? What if someone knows you and all the same decides you aren't worth their time? That sort of rejection is the most painful kind, but to never be known at all, to vanish as though you had never existed. I think that would be the greatest regret. Better to be known and not liked than never known at all. Besides, if someone knows the real you, they can tell you where you might improve. It's difficult to trust people, but it's a courageous thing. It's a good thing. True, it is naive to trust without thinking, but to trust after thinking takes courage. To give someone a measure of the ability to hurt you or cause problems trust them and see what they will do. It takes a certain sort of strength to do that. And it's good to be brave. It's good to have courage. It's good to build courage and to take heart. 
to do things even though you're afraid. To do things that you know are good, even though you're afraid of doing them. Hell, sometimes because you're afraid to do them. As long as they are indeed good things. <sighs> Sorry, I got really deep. Kind of somber. I'm a dungeon master for Dungeons and Dragons. Not because I particularly enjoy DMing. I do. It's nice. But I would prefer to be a player than a dungeon master, I think. To feel as though I have a place of importance within the story. Rather than putting in work and effort that ends up seeming invisible or going wrong and having to come up with something else. Still, it was either be the dungeon master or don't play at all. And I couldn't have that, so dungeon master it is. Sometimes we have to do that. Do something that we don't find to be our favorite thing. In order to get something positive, at least. And I have gotten something positive. I've made some good friends being the dungeon master. So I guess, as you go to bed, yes, there are things in our past that we are ashamed of, but it is better to take courage and tell our story rather than to wither and wilt and fade away. So with that in mind, This has been Books at Bedtime. I'm your host, Tyler. And I hope you have dreams of becoming a hero. Being courageous and... Accepting your own mistakes. Accepting yourself in spite of your own mistakes. Because... You're human. You're mortal. And mistakes are just part of learning and growing up. Good night.